this morning. We're calling it Encounters with Jesus. And if you got in here this morning and uh, maybe you didn't get the sermon notes, uh, this is going to be important for you because I'm going to go through everything, but there's so much information on here that you're going to be able to take a home and work through in your own devotion time with your family, family discussion. So uh, if you didn't get one of these, um, just slip up your hand and Richard is going to run one to you like the wind that was just prayed about. He will run it to you. And you can, you can have this this morning. Yeah, all right, good, good. Never feel embarrassed to raise your hand. Usually, usually my family members, we're raising our hands down here for, so go ahead. Hey, also, I want to let you know in this series, um, tomorrow morning when you awake, assuming you wake at a decent hour and not really early, um, there's, there'll be an email for you that gives you some daily devotions that go along with this encounter series. There are other characters that we will not walk through on Sunday morning that I want you to walk through the encounter with Jesus that they had as well. And so if for some reason you're here this morning, maybe you're brand new with us or just a couple weeks or or you've been coming but you've never given us your email or it changed and we never got the update, um, if you just take your communication card that was on one of those chairs and just fill that out this morning, drop it in the offering at the end, and you'll get that email so you can be working through those daily devotions as well. I would guess there's somebody in here who, like the idea of daily devotions, you've never done anything like that. And this would just be a great week to take this email and just to work through it each day. It's a, a short thing that you can encounter and walk through the... Uh, the characters they encounter with Jesus as well. So use that communication card that, well, that way. And if you'll look on back, there's a lot of different things on back. If the Lord's speaking to your heart and you just want to communicate to your pastoral staff or just to the church, you know, hey, pray for this area or, or, or the Lord is leading me in this direction, use that card if you would. The biggest one you'll see on there is next Sunday morning, we're, we're celebrating baptisms. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you've never been baptized as a believer, maybe as a, as a small child, you were you know, one or two years old, but you know when you made a commitment to follow Jesus Christ on your own and you've never been baptized, we'd love to do that next week. Just simply take the card and on the, mark, on the back, mark baptism, and we will connect with you. Maybe this morning in this sermon, at, or at the end of it, maybe one of you says yes to Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. We would love to baptize you next week and talk to you about that. So we'll walk uh, more of that uh, at the end. Sound good? All right, let me pray for you. Father, I, I would just guess in a room like this that there are just so many different levels of understanding of who you are, Lord. There's some people here that are just kind of checking you out, Lord. They came at an invitation to somebody else, Lord. Would just bless them. We're so glad they're here this morning. Lord, there's some others that they've been coming around and and you've been revealing more and more of who you are, and they're just like on the cusp and edge of saying, yeah, I think I'm ready to follow this with my life. Lord, if there's something that group needs to hear in the next 30 minutes here, Father, you do the words and you do the speaking, but still, Lord, there's others, maybe the larger group, Lord, they've made a commitment, but there's something further in their Christian walk that they either need to hear and learn or just something you need to punctuate in their life this morning and Father, I just pray you've got the freedom to do it uh, loud and clear, however you want. And then overall, for all of us here, I just pray that the words that your, your voice speaks to us, our ears are wide open to hear and to receive. We pray it all in your son's name. Amen. Encounters. Uh, so let me ask you, if you ever had an encounter with somebody that made like a lasting impression... You know what I'm talking about? Like you encountered somebody and it just, that just stuck with you a long period of time. Like maybe you were, uh, ran into like 
you know, a famous athlete or a, an actor or a politician or like a singer or someone like that or, you know, like Chris Lawson or someone like that back there. Yeah, you just like you ran into somebody and just made a lasting impression in your life. Or maybe it was like uh, uh, you, you met an ordinary person, but they did something that was like extraordinary. You'd never seen it or you'd never received anything like that and it just stuck with you. Or maybe it was completely unexpected that you went in with one mindset and you came out thinking something totally different about this person or this interaction and this encounter that you had with them. And maybe it even like just knocked you completely out of your comfort zone. And at the moment, you didn't even recognize it as positive. But as you look back on it, you go, wow, was that life changing in my life? encounters. That's what we're talking about today. And I want to talk to you about the encounter this character Peter in the Bible had with Jesus. So we talk about Jesus all the time. And if you're around church enough, you've heard about Peter before as well. Peter was one of the most dedicated followers of Jesus Christ and one of the most passionate followers that we read about in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then in the book of Acts uh, as well. And that's what the guy we want to look at. Now, you see, uh, Peter was uh, a fisherman from Galilee. That was his occupation. He got in the boat, he went out, he threw his nets in the water, he pulled in fish. That's what he did for a living. And we know from this historical evidence that like Galileans, if you want to stereotype them, Galileans were like quick-tempered and they were impulsive and emotional and they were like easily roused to adventure. Any uh, Galileans in here this morning? Yeah. Um, But they were loyal to the end is what we're told about Galileans. Now, when you read Peter, this like nails the character of Peter in the Bible. Peter was this typical man from Galilee. And, And he encountered Jesus while he was actually doing his fishing business. And Jesus called him and he left his business, which probably was the family business, maybe even something he was going to take over and it would become his. And he leaves this to become a follower of Jesus Christ. That's how it starts with Peter in this encounter. Now, uh, Peter's uh, name originally, it's Simon. You may know that already. That was like the the Hebrew name. The Greek name, which you're more familiar with, uh, was Cephas or Petrus, which actually means rock, and we find that in Scripture. We don't have time to walk through all that, but that's how Peter is associated with this word rock as well because it comes from his name. This is like the same Peter you've heard of if you're like wondering and you're not quite sure of the Gospels and the book of Acts. This is the same Peter that walked on water um, and and met Jesus on the water. This is the same Peter. He, he becomes like a leader and and. and he is a spokesman for the apostles. And it's the same Peter who we see is part of this inner circle. Jesus, you know, has his many followers and his 12 disciples and then this small group that's very close to him of three. And Peter is a part of that as well. But this is also the same Peter who denied Jesus three times. Now, wait a minute. How can it be that one day we can be passionate and very close to Jesus, and the next day we're afraid to even speak up for him. It's like one day we're all in totally, and the next day we let him down. It's the story of Peter this morning. I want you to think for a moment before we jump any further of times where you and I have kind of let Jesus down in our lives. I'm thinking specifically of us who have made commitments to follow Jesus Christ in our life. These times when maybe we we said, I'm going to commit to really pray consistently and communicate with God. 
and we kind of drop the ball in that area and go days and weeks and however long. Or at times when we're just afraid to talk to others about Jesus, others uh, that we rub shoulders with or we come into contact with, and we just, we're just nervous about even speaking the name Jesus in front of them. Or maybe it's when we find ourselves compromising our biblical standards. And when we're with one group of people, we're one way, and when we're with another group, we're another way, sometimes compromising these things that we'd otherwise stand for in Jesus Christ. And then we wake up one day, and we realize man, I've kind of fallen away from Jesus. Uh, I'm just, I don't feel that closeness that I once felt. I don't have the desire to be near him. I don't have the desire to be in his word. I don't have the desire to pray. Um, It it doesn't take much, uh, you know, to get me out of even going to church or being with God's people as well. And the question is, how in the world does this happen in our lives sometimes very quickly? I want us to look at that today, how it happened to Peter. Very quickly did it happen to Peter. And I want to look at that this morning because I believe if it happened to him, guess what? It can happen to all of us if it happened to him. So the question, how do we fall away from Jesus? How does that happen in our lives? Now, I'm going to walk through these this morning from the New Testament of the Bible. It comes from a book called Luke. So if you're familiar with the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, one of the Gospels. And we're going to take a look at chapter 27, starting in verse 30, and we're going to work through it. Now, there's about 31 verses in this, this story that we're working through, and we won't work through all 31 of those, just a few of them. That's left for you on your own. Go home and read the story all the way through. Spend time in your, just, just quiet between you and God and your Bible and just reading it. Maybe draw the family together and, and read through it and talk about things you might have heard this morning. I'll leave that for you as well. But we'll look through a few verses here in chapter 22 of Luke. And I want you to know uh, this morning, I've got several points. Now, they're all progressive, okay? So stick with me, all right? Don't go dozing off on me yet. We'll get through them. And you'll have a lot of stuff to take home and to work through as well. But I think in the next 30 minutes here, it's going to be impactful what, what we work through in this passage. Here's the first way you fall away from Jesus, or when you fall away from Jesus, is when your confidence becomes deceptive, or when you're deceived by your own confidence. See, Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples, and they're doing the Last Supper. When we had communion this morning, which, which uh, uh, works in the same setting, and he tells Peter, uh, Peter, Satan is going to test you. Well, we know Satan does that for all of us, right? And your faith is going to waver and you're going to deny me. Now, any believer of Jesus Christ would not want to hear this, but Peter, in the position he is, this kind of rocked him. And so Peter, he's so overconfident in his walk with God, he says this, Lord, not me. That'll never happen to me. Now, this is not just like a buddy out on the street saying, hey, be careful, you might fall. This is Jesus himself telling Peter, not be careful. He is saying, you will deny me. Peter says, no way. In fact, here's how Peter actually says it. He says, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison with you and even to die with you. It's pretty strong faith there that Peter's proclaiming to Jesus. Of course, this is coming right after Jesus tells him, no, you're going to deny me. See, Peter really did not take Jesus' warning very seriously. Jesus himself speaking to him and his overconfidence leads for him to being deceived really by his confidence. 
I love what it says in, in this verse in 1 Corinthians 10. It ties in with what we're talking about here in this first point. If you think you are standing strong, guess what? Be careful not to fall. Be careful not to fall. Meaning if as a Christian, you think you're above temptation as a Christian, you better be careful because you might just be ready for a fall. See, sometimes as Christians, we, we say this. We say to temptation. We look at temptation and we say, bring it on. Come on, temptation. I'm strong. I can stand. I can handle it. I can watch that. I can go there. I can do that. I can work there. I can interact with them. I can say those words. I can, and on and on and on the list goes. And I want to say to you this morning, no, you be careful. Be careful. Because the Bible describes uh, Satan as like this, uh, this lion looking for who he can devour. And if there's any way to get in, he'll do it. And in this situation for Peter, he deals with his overconfidence. Now, confidence in Jesus Christ is good. We could quote passages in God's word that you need to be confident. If you've said yes to Jesus Christ, you need to be confident in your salvation, that you're going to be with God in eternity. Overconfidence. I'm bulletproof. Nothing can touch me. That's a danger zone. And we want to make sure we recognize that. Secondly, our prayer can become distracted. Jesus and his disciples, they leave the upper room, they go out to the Mount of Olives, and they go out to pray together. And Jesus asked the disciples specifically, stay awake and pray. That's what I, that was his direction to them. And he returns from prayer, his own prayer, and he finds that Peter and some of the disciples, what are they doing? Uh, they're asleep on the job. I'm asleep on, on what Jesus had asked them to do. Here's what he says in verse 46. Why are you sleeping, Jesus talking? Get up and pray so that you will not give in to what? Temptation. Jesus links this here. You ever get distracted when you pray? It's okay. You don't have to give a you know, Christian answer here. Um, I do. Yeah, I get distracted sometimes. But do you ever actually fall asleep when you're, when you're praying? Yeah, I have as well. I'm not sure that that's a sin when it happens. I'm not sure that's what is said here that happens to all of us. But there's something like even more going on in this passage here. I mean, you see, this is Jesus on a significant night here turning to his disciples and saying, I, I need you on my behalf. I need you to stay awake and I need you to pray. And the disciples, Peter here, part of them, they don't see the seriousness in Jesus' request to watch and to pray. And I think the same thing is said to us. Jesus says, look, in this world that you live in, in this world that you walk through with temptation everywhere, with things that can trip you up and, and make you stumble, with the mission that we have to reach other people for Jesus Christ, you gotta be on watch and you gotta pray. Prayer has to be a central focus to what we're doing. And if we're not careful, much like Peter and the disciples that night, we just don't take God very seriously on it. And we don't spend time praying. We don't spend time communing with God in this way where we stop even for two minutes, three minutes, five minutes, whatever it is, and say, you know, everything in the world doesn't matter for this moment. I go before God and I'm just going to spend some time with him. Or when I'm trying to decide, you know, should I purchase this or not? Or should we do this or not? Or, Lord, what would you have? What do you want me to do? And we go to God we think often, I think, that we're in control or we can handle it ourselves. And prayer's one of the ways that we stay so close to God. And guess what? We keep temptation back in our prayer time. And when you begin to fall away from God, guess what 
starts to go pretty quick as well. Your prayer time, your communion and com- communication with God. Thirdly, uh, our following becomes distant, becomes distant. Now they're in the Garden of Gethsemane and they're praying when Judas arrives with the soldiers and they're there to betray Jesus. And the disciples, guess what they do? They scatter everywhere is what we find out there. Read it in uh, verse 54 here. So they arrested him and they led him to the high priest's home. And Peter, now notice this, he followed at a distance. The further we move away from Christ, the more difficult it really is to stand close to Christ. And you might say, well, that, duh, if you move away, it's hard to stand close. But I'm not sure we always match that up in our thinking and how we live. Now, I suppose with Peter, we could say, hey, at least Peter followed all the other disciples scattered. At least G- Peter kept an eye on what was going on. And, and I suppose that's, that's a good thing um, uh, in this. But it was clear they were rattled. They were rattled. And if any time we're going to question and we're going to wonder what's going on and should I stay close to this Jesus, it's when we get rattled in our life. Something significant happens. Something knocks us off, off course. And we start to wonder, is this really how I should ground myself? Is this, really, is this really the principles I should follow and live by? Is the things that Jesus said, I mean, is that real? Or was there just, are there some history things that just didn't get translated right and we're just all been deceived? Questions start to sneak in when our life gets rattled. And if, if we're not careful, our following of him becomes very distant and we get well behind him in our Christian walk. And when we do this, I mean, the things go. Like, um, we, we get afraid to talk to others about Jesus, or we get weird about praying in public, and we, we convince ourselves in all kinds of ways that a lifestyle of holiness is really not needed or, or not something I should follow. We call ourselves Christians, but we really don't want to stand out in our Christianity. We get distant. Fourthly, our, our loyalty becomes divided. Has your loyalty ever been divided on something? Peter arrives in the courtyard of the high priest where Jesus, he begins one of his trials here. And Peter sits down among like complete strangers. Here's what it says in the scripture, verse 55. The guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat around it, and Peter joined them there. Now, who's the them there? If you've watched a few... Um, oh, I don't know, Bible movies that, that depict this story, it always seems to depict like they're all the same people that were following Jesus before. And that's not the case. Th- those people scattered his followers. They, they ran. They weren't sure what was going on and if their own lives would be in danger from being close to Jesus. No, these were the people that were, they, they had relationships or connections or even supported those who wanted Jesus put to death. That's what the courtyard was here. And here's Peter. He comes and he sits himself down right in the middle. It's an interesting uh, setting for him. He's no longer among his disciples. He's an easy target. And you see, when our, our loyalty gets divided and we find ourselves constantly being in environments or being influenced in environments of people that don't know or, or love Jesus, our loyalty can be divided if we've let ourselves get distant from Jesus. Now, when we're tracking with Jesus and we're plugged in and the things we've already talked about, we're staying plugged in in prayer and we're close, being in those atmospheres give us great platform to share about Jesus. But when we've unplugged ourselves from Jesus, 
when we've unplugged ourselves from talking to him or we've become distant in our following of him, our loyalties can be divided just like that in those environments. And there's Peter sitting in one of these environments and the first test is, is coming his way. And often when we get in this environment, you know what happens when we've started to progress down this path? We become a little apathetic to the things that God loves, talking to other, others about Jesus or, or whatever. We become a little apathetic. And if it's not total apathy, it's questioning. Is that really what I'm supposed to do? Maybe I'm not gifted that way. Maybe that's somebody else's job. And we put those questionings. Is he really the Messiah? Should I really follow him? Can, can his promises really stand? And you can see at this moment, so much would just be rolling through Peter's head as he's sitting there. Listen to this verse uh, that it, it's talked about Jesus in Revelation chapter 3. It says, so you were lukewarm, neither hot nor cold. I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Do you know these strong words of Jesus, what he's saying here is, he's really saying, look, you just can't sit on the fence with this Christianity thing. You can't just be in the middle with this Christianity thing here. You got to stand for what you say and what you believe in. Jesus is saying, are you in or are you out in this type of passage here? Because when you're not sure and your loyalty becomes divided, it's pretty, it's pretty hard to make any stand for Christ and certainly to have any strong platform. Number five, uh, our faith becomes diluted here. Uh, Peter, he's sitting around the fire with the strangers, and a servant girl recognizes him as one who was with Jesus, verse 56, maybe one you're familiar with, and a servant girl saw him. Then after she looked at him carefully, she said, this man was with Jesus. And Peter said, woman, I don't even know the man. In an instant, Peter went from, I will die for you, to his faith being so diluted that he couldn't stand in front of the servant girl and even say that he knew Jesus, much less I'm with him and I would die for him. And see, that's the path, that's the progression of our lives. When we unplug from Jesus, when we let our, our faith get divided, it becomes diluted as well and it has no strength left in it. To deny means to refuse to recognize. And when our faith becomes diluted, um, that apathy that's been building, it just leads to rejection. I just reject this. And in your life, you may think, you know, I can't ever think of a time when I like verbally said, I reject you, Jesus. Um, but we start to do it with our life. We do it with our lifestyle. We do it with what's a priority to us and what's not a priority to us. And in subtle ways that speak in volumes, our faith has become diluted and and in the same way, we reject. Number six, the last of this progression of, of this, how we fall away from Jesus here, our walk becomes destructive. While Peter's sitting with strangers in the courtyard trying to defend himself here, uh, his speech gives way to this, uh, uh, he, his speech gives him away because you know, he's got a, a Galilean accent and so other people start to recognize and so they come up and they say these words starting in verse 58. A little later, someone else saw Peter and said, you're one of them. No, I'm not, Peter replied. And about an hour later, another man insisted, this man must have been with Jesus. They're both from Galilee. And Peter replied, I don't know what you're talking about. Right then, while Peter was speaking, a rooster crowed. Significance of the last line, if you remember, that was the sign after the third denial. 
that a rooster would crow. So in an instant, after his third denial of Jesus, Peter was reminded. And in an instant, we find that he went out of the courtyard and he ran away weeping bitterly. You see, eventually, our faith, our lack of faith, our walk, what we actually do will become destructive to us. When we unplug with Jesus, when we walk away, when our faith becomes diluted, then eventually our walk, what we do and how we live our life will become destructive to us. And that's exactly what happened with Peter here. And Peter recognizes this. He recognizes his fall and the destructiveness of his words. I don't even know the guy. And he runs away weeping bitterly. Now, three things can happen at this point in somebody's walk. Somebody who's walked down this progression that we just talked about. One, you can just continue on with life and say, hey, this is just how, I, I, how it is. I, I, I kind of like this. I kinda, I'm just going to keep living this way apart from Jesus. And whatever it was I faced back then that was with Jesus, I don't know. I must have been deceived, but I, I like how I'm living now. And you just continue on your path the rest of your life unplugged from Jesus. Uh, the second thing that is you can, you can feel sorrow. You can, you can feel remorse there, um, but you don't, you don't really want to do anything about it. You don't really want much to change uh, in your life. And then secondly, or thirdly, excuse me, is you can have this draw to repentance, to say, no, I, I, I was wrong. This was destructive. I've so unplugged with Jesus in my life, I, I don't experience the power and the connection of who he is as my Lord and Savior any longer. And you just repent of your life and you just turn directly back to him and say, I want to follow you. Next week, we're going to walk through this character named Judas. If you remember his story that, who betrayed Jesus. And it's interesting here that Peter denies Jesus. Judas betrays Jesus. Both seem to feel bad about their actions. We find in scripture, what's the difference here? Well, we find there's actually two different Greek words that are used for how they responded. See, Judas, there's a word that means remorse. He felt bad for what he did. And we find that he actually went out and, and killed himself. Incredible remorse. Peter, we find a different, a totally different Greek word that means to change. And so when Peter here, he definitely had remorse. But this remorse, what was wrapped up in it was change, repentance. I, I want to turn my life completely around this morning. And this is what uh, is said in 2 Corinthians 7.10. I want to walk through this for a second. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret from that of any kind. But worldly salvation, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. And so you can see the two here that Peter experienced, this, this sorrow that led to change and led to repentance. And I wonder in your life this morning, I wonder if for you, uh, if you've ever dealt with something like this, a fall away or a walk away, a progression away from Jesus, if you've had sorrow, but you've never allowed the idea of repentance to take over, to confess before God and to say, Lord, take this away. And he says here, that, that kind of sorrow brings no regret. It brings repentance. I don't know if you know this, but sorrow we can be sorry for all of our sins and all of our wrong ways and we can still go to hell. That's what the Bible tells us here. 
But the wonderful news for us this morning for you as well, that wonderful news is that that it has always been the new hope for new life. The hope has always been today and every day in Jesus Christ. And that when we come to him and we say, Lord, forgive me, I repent, that he fills us in a way that, that we've never quite experienced before. You see, if, I think if we're not careful, uh, we want a blessing, but we don't want to change our lives. We don't want to change our lifestyle. We don't want to change what we're doing and how we're doing it, but we just want the blessing, and it never comes. It never comes. Because God loves us so much that the blessing in this life is the transformed life. That's the blessing that he changes us, he makes us new, he, he works on us, he cleans us up, he does all this, and that is the blessing. And the blessing beyond this life is eternal life with him, yeah, forever. So I want to tell you this morning, there's good news for you this morning. If you identify with the progression of falling away from Jesus, there's outstanding news for you this morning, that we have a God who loves us so much that he never runs out of times where he will not receive a heart that's repentant right back to him and to love that heart and to make that communication or that connection with him. So if you've gotten off track, if you've fallen away from him, if you've walked down this progression we've talked about already, if maybe you've never made a commitment to him, then I want to just share with you briefly here how to fall back in line with Jesus. And so if you want to follow along on the, on the right side, let me just share this with you. Peter, he repented of his sins. He's reinstated. He becomes one of the most significant leaders in, that we read about in the book of Acts. And so the question for us is, have you fallen away as well? And if you're somewhere in that progression right now, here's four levels I just want to talk to you about. And no one, two, three, four level system can ever perfectly capture where you're at on your spiritual journey. But I think these will help us this morning and help you might identify where you're at and where God is, is challenging you to progress. The first one is this, come and see. The Gospel of Mark, he sh- shares this passage in chapter 3, verse 8. When they heard all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Edomia, and to the regions across Jordan. It, it, meaning here, when they heard about Jesus' miracles— they came and they wanted to see them for themselves. You know, in a few weeks, we're going to be going to uh, the grasshoppers. August 7th, as a church, we're going to see it. This is the plug during the sermon time for you to buy your tickets. Um, but I've always, it's always been interesting when a sports team is doing very well, which apparently the grasshoppers are not this season, but when they're doing very well, guess what happens? We go and watch. We go see them. The stadium is filled, and we, we want to see what's going on. We drive to Charlotte to see the Panthers. If, if they ever win, we, we drive to Charlotte and see the Panthers, or, or we drive out to wherever to see a team. Why? Because they're winning, and it's going well. They hear this report about Jesus, and they come from all over to see what he's doing. He's teaching in a way they'd never heard. He's healing, like, out among the people. It's not just happening in the temple. And they want to know what's going on here. This come and see level, will you write the word in there? There's no blank for you. Just write the word curiosity uh, in there. Curiosity. You see, at this curiosity level, you, you might just be checking things out. You might just be coming and saying, is this Jesus really who people say he is? Is he different than I saw on TV? Who really is this Jesus person? 
Maybe you're, you're looking and you say, is this church a place that I can connect? I've heard so many horror stories about churches. Is this a place that I can connect in where people might know me and love me and that I could learn more about Jesus in an environment like this? And if you're at the curiosity level, I want you to know that Jesus welcomes you in. He welcomes you. In fact, Jesus, though he keeps drawing you, he also at the same time lets you set a pace to learn about him and learn more and more. And so at Wendover Hills, this is a church, we want to do the same. We want you to come and experience authentic relationship and worship and learn about Jesus as we, we preach and talk about him every single week. That's level one, come and see. Level two is come and surrender. The story is told in the book of Luke of Peter and some of the disciples who had been fishing all night and they hadn't caught anything. And much like, you know, like when John Crookshank takes me out to the lake and I catch a little thing like this and he catches a stick. That's the story, Rushi. Okay, that's how it goes. So, and, but Jesus shows up with these guys and he says, throw your nets on the other side. And so these fishermen, they could have looked on shore and said, okay, carpenter, worker of wood on dry land, um, you must know more than us fishermen. But they didn't. They, they, they say, hey, we've been working all night. We've caught nothing. But because you say so, I'll let down the nets. Underline that, because you say so. In fact, for some of you, you don't need to take anything more away from this sermon than that phrase and owning it in your own Christian life to turn to Jesus and say, because you say so, and you'll follow. And that's what they did. At this level, you're not just coming and seeing, but you're starting to understand he is drawing me to commitment. Jesus is drawing me to make a commitment to him, to follow him, and to say yes to him, and to put it into action, and to commit things that are very valuable in my life to him. That's what the disciples were doing that night. Were they teachable? Yeah, we find out they were, and they became very close followers. At this level, in the, in the margin there, write the word commitment. That's the commitment level. Instead of following at a distance here, you no longer want to just be a spectator, but you, you want to be in the game. You want to be part of what's going over. You want to step over a line and decide, I'm going to make a commitment to follow Jesus Christ. If you're the, here this morning and you've never said yes to Jesus Christ, this may be where Jesus is drawing you to this morning, to say yes, to make a commitment, to surrender your life and follow him this morning. This motivational speaker, Art Turok, once said this, when you're interested in something, you do it only when the circumstances permit. But when you're committed to something, you accept no excuses, only results. Meaning, you lock in and you follow when you're committed to something. Now, this is a great level. If you're at level one this morning, if Jesus is calling you, this is a great level to start making commitment to him. Now, believers... There's a danger in this level too. If we're not careful, some of us as Christ followers will stop at some form of this commitment level and we'll never go on in our life. And if you decide, uh, are you today, you, you can drift into what we call and what George Barna deemed casual Christianity. In fact, he did a survey once and found that 66% of believers and Christians in America would identify themselves as casual Christians. Casual Christians. Well, you say, well, what does that mean, casual Christians? It means we want faith in moderation. It means that, that we, we don't want to be radical in our faith. We want to say I'm a Christian, but 
we don't want to be nutso with this thing here. It allows us to feel religious without really prioritizing our walk with the Lord. It's this form of level two, but it's not full commitment. And if we camp out here year after year after year after year, committing to the easy part of the faith, but guess what we do? We steer away from the challenging aspects of the faith. Maybe that's you this morning, years of Christianity, but that's where you're at. If so, God wants to take us to this third level, this come and share level. Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 4, says this, those who have been scattered preached the word wherever they went. You see, the mother church in Jerusalem, after Jesus' resurrection and ascension, they took some persecution uh, in, in Jerusalem, the church. And these apostles that we've talked about, they stayed in Jerusalem, but the believers, they were scattered everywhere to avoid persecution that was going on here. But guess what? They took their faith with them. It's how the word spread everywhere because they went, and as the verse said, they went and they preached and they shared God's word, these followers. Next to, to that come and share, write the word commission there. This is the uh, commission level. At this level, you see, you're no longer this casual Christian, but you're ready to advance the mission of Jesus Christ no matter what. You, you want, as Jesus said, this is my mission to seek and save the lost, and you say, that's going to be my mission as well. So what do you do? You start investing your time. You invest your finances. You invest your talents. You invest everything you have. You behave differently to create a different platform to share your faith with other people. You're not afraid to take Jesus to your job, to your school, to your neighbors, and it doesn't even require a soapbox on a corner. It just requires us living it out and sharing when the opportunity comes. There's a fourth level I want to share with you. It's a level of come and suffer. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 9, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. I think this is a level that's really difficult for us as American Christians to get our head around. Yet it's something that believers all over the world, they face every single day. They're at the point where they are actually willing to physically die for their faith. Just recently, uh, the Washington Times post, uh, reported that the North Korean leader, uh, Kim Jong, had 33 Christians killed. These 33 Christians you may not have known, it wasn't even in the article, they planted 500 churches, 500 churches, and they were put to death. Recently, the Open Door Ministries which keeps track of Christian martyrs all over the world, and they published that in 2012, there were 1,200 cases of, of Christians that were martyred specifically for their faith, that almost doubled the next year to 2,100 that were killed for their faith. And I just imagine those numbers will only increase with what's going on in our world today. You don't really read about those numbers in the paper. They certainly don't make the headlines in our world, but it's happening. On the side of, of this, would you write the word conviction in there? conviction. You see, there's a difference here between beliefs and convictions because you can believe in something strongly and say you believe in something really strongly, but when you have conviction, you do something about it. When you have conviction, it means you're willing to even suffer for what you believe. That's how strong convictions are. Convictions are the things that are converted to conduct. It's an important phrase to remember there. Translation if as Christians, if we, don't, if we don't walk the talk, guess what? 
it's worthless. It's not conviction. If as believers in Jesus Christ, we're content on saying, I'm a Christian, but you know, God will still love me if I do these things. Whereas that might be accurate, it really makes our faith worthless. But conviction, when we're convicted for the things of Jesus Christ, we're convicted to the mission God has us on in this earth, it changes things. And we're willing to say, I will follow Jesus Christ regardless of the consequence. Regardless of the consequence. Maybe in this country we can't relate to death, um, but you might relate to losing your job because you've said, you know, hey, I need to be in church. I need to be with God's people on Sundays. I need my schedule to change here. Or you're being asked to do something at your job that you just know is morally wrong, and you said, I can't participate in that. I can't do that. And it may even be within the law, but we know it violates uh, what God has called us to be, and you say, I can't be a part of that. We face persecution at times on things like that. It might mean you lose your group of friends. You know what I've learned over the years? Casual Christians hate to be around committed Christians too long. They, they hate it. You might lose those friends. I'm not asking you to go out and, and, and create a bunch of issues. Um, you don't be the reason for them to lose, lose a friendship, but your faith might cause that to happen. You might be labeled in a way that hurts. You, you might be labeled in a way that you think, I, don't, I didn't think that was really me. But you're labeled that way. It's just how it works. But your conviction says, I will follow Jesus Christ regardless of the consequence. Here's what Paul said. He was in jail and he wrote these words that we find in Philippians chapter 1. On the contrary, everything happens to me in this jail only serves to make Christ more accurately known. Regardless of whether I live or die, they didn't shut me up. They gave me a pulpit. It was his opportunity to stand for his faith regardless of the consequence. So you've heard that all this morning. What's the takeaway today? As you've encountered Jesus Christ, ask yourself and everything you've worked through and filled out in your blanks, what's your next step? What's your next step? Or where are you at if you look at the first side and the progression? Where do you need to halt yourself at in the slide? Maybe you're just visiting for the first time. You're just kind of checking this place out. And, and it, if you were, I want you to know this is not a high-pressure place. We're just a place that wants to have genuine relationships and teach and learn about Jesus Christ. And we welcome you to keep coming back. And if that's your step, keep coming and join us in that. For others, uh, maybe you're ready to step into the game. You're maybe ready to make a commitment to follow Jesus Christ and to become a believer this morning, and we would love to do that. I want to pray you through it in just a moment. But I think for the most of us, the question is this. Are you really ready to defend and live out your faith? 